0: We're coming to the end of the season of Christmas. Christmas, This season of Christmas actually ends this year um, on Monday, the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. Today we celebrate what, the Epiphany of the Lord. The Epiphany is a word, Greek word that means the manifestation, like the shining out, uh, the making known of, of Jesus. So we read about the arrival of, of the Magi from the East and their arrival at, um, yeah, at the Nativity to come and, and to see Jesus. Um, and it's a really important moment in the history of all of salvation. So it's not just like, oh, that's, yeah, part of Christmas. Like, there's, there's the baby in the manger, and then you got shepherds, and you got kings, and we got to do the kings, and then we're done. No, this moment is a really big moment for all of salvation history, and it's a big moment for you and for me, because you and I would not be sitting here uh, if it wasn't for this moment. So, like, what's the big deal? Who cares? To really answer that question, we have to zoom way out to the story of salvation. So you know the fall happens. What's the fall? The fall was when we stopped trusting God. The catechism said that Adam and Eve let the trust of God die in their hearts. And so we started hiding from him and running from him, and a great darkness covered the earth because of it. We entered into this darkness of sin. But God, who loves you, uh, decided to pursue you. He decided to come after us. Now, as God comes after us, he decides to start drawing a people to himself to build relationships. Relationships start out in in a very small way. You have all of the people of the earth, but who are God's people? At first, it's um, like Abraham and his kids, his son and Isaac, and his son Jacob and his sons. So it begins with a family. By the time the family ends up in Egypt, they're a a great people. They're 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 getting bigger and bigger and bigger. When they come out of Egypt, they're this this series of tribes, these twelve tribes. Eventually they become a kingdom, the kingdom of the Jews, of the Israelites. But the Jews are predominantly descendants of Abraham and his family. So they are the people of the covenant, which means the people that are in this particular special relationship with God. So then at that time you have the Jews who who know God, who God has revealed himself to, and then you have the Gentiles. You've heard that word before, Jews and Gentiles. There's other words that we use for the Gentiles. All it means is people that are not Jews, they're not members of the family of God. So you have the Gentiles. Sometimes in the scriptures they're called the pagans. Sometimes they're called just foreigners, people from foreign places. Sometimes they're called the nations. So that's an important word. When it refers to the nations in the scriptures, it's not just saying like countries like we think of today. No, it's referring to all those who who are not Jews, who are not people of the covenant, Now, at the same time, God is drawing this people to himself, this family, and eventually this this great culture and nation to himself, the Jews. But the promise was always that the Jews were supposed to be God's people, but they would make God known to everybody else. So the plan was always that the Jews would make God known to everybody else. They're his special people, his particular people. But again, their job was to shine out with the presence of God and that all nations would be drawn in. There are a lot of ways in the history of Israel, Israel, Jews, this is the same way of talking about the same people, that this doesn't, just doesn't happen. They become often complacent. I would argue that's something that we suffer from today, a little complacency. Complacency is this idea that, like, I'm on the inside, and they're on the outside, and too bad for them, right? I think sometimes we feel that way, like, I've encountered God, and I know him, and he loves me, and uh, great for me, you know? And other people don't, and no, too bad for them, Right? And maybe even Father, I mean, this is me too, I'm talking to me, but like sometimes I'm not just complacent, sometimes I'm judgmental. Like, oh, look at them. Yeah, they don't know what I know. Look how holy I am, right? Um, so this complacence is something that yeah, humans are disposed to. It's a sinful tendency. But God still keeps his promises, and he still wants to manifest himself to the nations, to the foreigners. And this happens in a very secret and hidden and little way, and we read about it today. So this is the manifestation of God to all nations. This is the epiphany that's taking place. So the promised moment that God's presence would shine out to the nations is happening here in our readings today. Even in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, this is hundreds and hundreds of years before, it's talking about how Israel's light is going to shine out. This is our first reading. And sons and daughters are going to come from far away. And it says, caravans of camels shall fill you, Dromedaries from Midian and Ephah from Sheba shall come bearing what? Gold and frankincense and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. As you notice, there was something missing from the list, right? Gold, frankincense, and what's the third one? You know it. Myrrh. Myrrh's not listed. We'll talk about why that is. It's a weird thing. It's a weird gift for a baby. If you don't already know, keep, stay tuned. <laughs> okay. So the promise is that the nations will come and see God's glory. And again, it happens in a really hidden way unexpectedly. And it's really sad that the people that really didn't expect it were what? The people that should have. Because the magi show up. Um, We don't know what magi were exactly. We call them kings. They're probably not kings. They're kind of astrologers or kings or wise, learned philosophers that would have looked at the skies and paid attention to the stars because they noticed this new star. We don't know what happened, but something's born in them and there's this urge this necessity of, like, we got to go to whatever's being shown to us. So they're drawn to God by this light. So those who have dwelled, dwelled in darkness, like, this light is summoning them. And they come. And they come to, um, to Herod. They come to Herod in Jerusalem, which is the capital, because they assume, like, the people in the capital should know, the king should know. So they come to Herod, who's, who's the king at the time. And they say, hey, where's the newborn king? And what does it say? When Herod heard this, He was greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So it's not just Herod that's upset, it's everybody else. So instead of rejoicing at this news that the king of the Jews that's been promised for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Messiah has come, there is a defensiveness and a fear that comes upon them. Herod particularly is afraid that this new king is going to attack him and take away the kingdom from him. The Jews, even though Herod is like a dirtbag king, he's not a good king. Herod murdered a bunch of his family. Like, dude, dude was messed up, right? But even like the people in Jerusalem, they're like, listen, just don't, don't shake things up, like don't change things. If I'm honest with myself, often as God wants to come close, I say, just, just leave things be, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what you're going to do, and I don't know if I trust you. So just maybe hands off, right? Like, I am troubled at the arrival of God at times. Maybe you're not, and then you're better than me. And maybe, maybe you should be the priest, because I don't know. Sometimes I wonder what I'm doing up here. Anyway, so they come. Herod is troubled, and all of Jerusalem is troubled with them. The people, the people that should be longing for the coming of the Messiah are defensive against him. They don't want him to come. So Herod asks, hey, where's the Christ? The Christ means the Messiah. It means the king. Those all kind of mean the same thing. Where's the Messiah, the Christ, the king's supposed to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem. It's important that Jesus was born in Bethlehem because that's the city of the king. That's David's city, David the great king. And so he sends the magi on, the king's on, and he says, hey, go find out where Jesus is, uh, where this new king is, and then uh, come and tell me because I want to give him homage does he want to give him homage, yes or no? No, what does he want to do? Murder him. He wants to kill him. And again, this might sound too harsh, and I'm sorry if it sounds too harsh, but we could be like, oh, Herod, he's a bad man. But gosh, there's ways in which, like, the coming of Jesus into our lives is threatening at times. Like this idea that, that Jesus wants to just take your whole life to himself and guide you and lead you in everything and, do, and show you where to go, and he gives you commandments to tell you what to do. Part of us is like, I don't know if I want that, right? Part of us does, but part of us doesn't. Anyway, the Magi go. Um, we know at the end that they're warned not to go back to Herod by in a dream, and they go back another way. It says they're overjoyed when they see the star, and they come and see the house, and they see Mary with the child. When they left from wherever they were coming from, there was probably an idea that like they're going to find this great king, and maybe he's in a palace. But they're really open to, like, wherever God reveals himself. They have no expectations. And so the star leads them to a normal house, and they go and they find a normal lady with a baby, but they're overjoyed. And it comes, and, and they, they offer their, their treasures. We always talk about three kings. We don't know if there was three or not, but there's three gifts, so we assume that there's three of them. And the gifts are gold and frankincense, as mentioned in the Old Testament, and myrrh, Um. Each of these gifts, in a specific way, are declarations of Jesus' identity. I'll say that again. Each gift tells us something about who Jesus is and what his role is to be. He's just a baby, but he's going to live into these roles. Gold is a gift for a king. These are all in the hymn today that we're going to sing for the offertory, We Three Kings. You know it? Pay attention to the, the lyrics. It's, it's a, it literally illuminates this. So gold is a gift for a king. So Jesus comes to be a king. What does a king do? He rules, he governs, he protects. And the kings of Israel were always supposed to be shepherds that have in their heart a deep care for the sheep. So he's not just a king with power. No, he's a king with great love, with tenderness, and with concern. That's good news. Frankincense. What is frankincense? Uh, You can smell it right now. You're hearing the word incense. This is a form of incense. What do we use incense for? It's for worship. We're here to worship because we're in the presence of God. Frankincense is a gift that we give to God. There's a reverence with which we use frankincense. We only use it for really holy things because it's part of our worship of God. So this incense is being offered to a baby, which again, they're all kind of weird gifts for babies. Like babies need what? Onesies and things to chew on. I don't know, soft things. It's like here's gold your baby, okay? Here's incense. Like, okay, these are weird. But again, they're revealing who Jesus is. He is a king. He comes to be a king. He is God himself. He comes to be worshipped, to be adored. And then last is myrrh. What is myrrh? Myrrh is embalming fluid. So if it was present day, they would have brought formaldehyde. It's weird. What is it saying about Jesus? That he comes to be a victim. He comes to be a sacrifice. He comes to offer himself to die. So from the very beginning, we get a sense of, "Oh, he's going to lay down his life for you and for me. Like he's here for you to save you." I, I still don't think, I just can't grasp this idea, that the God of the universe died because he loves me so much and wants to save me. It's hard to fathom. He chose to die. Because he loves you. That's how important you are. Okay. So the epiphany, what is it? It's the shining out, the manifestation of the presence of Christ to the nations. And now the nations are called to respond to him. To say, yes, I want you to be my king and my God and my savior. The victim that, that dies to save me. So in a special way, we want to ask that Jesus would be manifested to each of us. And also that through us to the world, our job, your job, my job, is to manifest God's presence to the world. And we need help with that. I don't know that we're doing great with that. We've got like 10 people in RCIA this year, which is awesome, but we need 100. Like, we need more. And not just like so that we have a nice church and we have a collection that's up, like that's the pastor talking. No, no, no. No, it's because this is salvation, folks. One last little idea and then I'll, I'll lead you into some prayer. First reading has this beautiful this beautiful um, line talking about the day that God will manifest himself to the nations through Israel. it says, then you shall be radiant at what you see and your heart shall throb and overflow there 's this sense that it 's the presence of God shining out through Israel that will draw people in you will be radiant that means god 's light will shine out from you and your heart will throb and overflow. What comes from your heart? That's love. What does God want to happen to each and every one of us? He wants to manifest himself to the world, to like the actual people in your actual life, at your home and at your job and in your friendships and relationships. God wants to shine out. That you might shine with the presence of God. You have that capacity, I promise you that. And that your heart might overflow with love, that his love would fill you and overflow to others. You have that capacity, both of those. But also, it happens in really humble ways. Manifestation, the epiphany of Jesus, happened in a humble place with a humble mom. Right? It didn't happen in a palace. No, it was very little. And it was almost hidden. But that doesn't mean it can't happen. God wants to manifest himself through you. This is real. This is the mission of your life, that you would receive him and that through you he would flow out. And our job is to receive him to receive his love to receive his presence he's coming towards you all the time you don't have to get him to come you don't have to worry about that no he has chosen you so last again we accept him we receive him as what as our king to govern and to rule and to guide our lives with great compassion and love he understands you as a king and as a shepherd as God, as God himself, to worship and to adore. The only thing that you are worthy of giving yourself to is God. Like, you're so good that you shouldn't give yourself to anything short of God himself. And then lastly, he comes to save you, to be your salvation. Sometimes it's weirdly hard to let Jesus save us because we want to save ourselves. Amen? Like, I want to do it. I want to fix myself. I want to earn it. I want to prove something. And it doesn't work that way. No, we need to let Jesus save us. Be like, okay, Jesus, I need you to save me. So I'm going to give you a moment to pray with these three identities of Jesus. King, God, and Savior. And if you can, in the honesty of your heart, that you would receive him in those ways and say, Jesus, I accept you as my king, as my God, and as my Savior.